You're with Julian on the Brown Notes and a review of Roadrunner, uh, a Bourdain film. I'll just get the proper title in a minute. Um, Anthony Bourdain's one of the most important people to me of this century, of this life. Um, I've spent a lot more time travelling foreign countries with him than I have with people I know. Um, for me, I watch a ridiculous amount of travel and cooking television and the two primordial forces there were Rick Stein and uh, Anthony Bourdain and obviously Bourdain changed the landscape of what was possible in that medium but um, he represented something that went beyond words for a lot of us that were his fans um, and had been wedded to him for nearly two decades when he took his own life a couple of years ago um, which is um, an event that is looked at in great detail here now, this is um, a pretty high-profile documentary maker, Morgan Neville. Uh, his documentary, Best of Enemies, on the debates between Goverdale and William Buckley, won an Emmy Award. Uh, 20 Feet from Stardom won the Academy Award for, for Best Documentary Feature. Uh, and Won't You Be My Neighbour? about Fred Rogers is the highest-grossing biographical documentary of all time. So this is... A, a big pedigree and I would imagine his latest will be alongside the Velvet Underground documentary which I'll be reviewing uh, shortly probably next week I think because I wanted to use Velvet Underground music in the show uh, I imagine they'll both be nominated at the Oscars for best documentary his latest Roadrunner a film about Anthony Bourdain is the first real documentary about Bourdain and what happened in those horrible uh, final few weeks of, um, of the show, there were some attempts by CNN to... Uh, well, firstly, thank you to them for attempting to get those final episodes, as painful as they were, out, even though they often didn't have narration, which we have since subsequently found out was probably the most important element of the whole show. If you've seen those ghostly, eerie shows uh, that had no narration... Uh, it's clearly a big part, but looking, watching this documentary, it, it is clear that uh, the way that he formulated his narration grew and became the most important narrative element on the show. Um, it focuses on him at the very beginning, which is almost where I got on board, um, which is when he wrote his Kitchen Confidential. Firstly, he wrote, um, I think, a, an article that got published in the New York Times, which was about shenanigans in the chef industry and uh, a lot of sort of um salacious details like you know they what they, what they keep meat over the weekend or how they repackage off off fish and stuff like that which drew the public's attention but more than anything it was his style he had this um post marco pierre white very rock and roll style to him at this stage he didn't want to make tv he didn't even think about it he did love writers and rock musicians they were his heroes and um we, it's a very literal documentary, which is very, very good for me because I watch these shows from the start. So it's making a documentary following the same path as I watched, which is which was pretty incredible to me. Um, firstly, there's a second book that he was offered, which was a chef's tour. Not as good a book. If you've never read Kitchen Confidential, it's a fantastic book. It is a really good book. Uh, chef's tour is pretty, really good, mostly. But it's episodic, and some of the bits a bit duller. But with him came two producers of television and uh, started filming him. 
and it went terribly because suddenly they realized he was this really shy guy and actually very withdrawn and under the pressure of television he wilted but apparently once they'd left um, Japan and got to Vietnam everything became a bit more fun and he started to let his guard down and then that's when they realized that they had something special um, the chef's tour show then became um, I don't know why they don't make a point of this in the in the in the documentary but a chef's tour is a very small show I think on the Food Network couple of seasons 20 minute episodes but then he moved into the long sort of hour-long episode no reservations which really made his name but they don't really make it clear the, the delineation but what they do do is follow how he goes from the guy that's eating a beating cobra's heart to try and look cool on TV and becoming synonymous with eating crazy things to the much more thoughtful, politicised guy who everyone knows and loves. And they showed that, and, and this is one of the elements of this show why I think it's such a good documentary. I thought all of these things were necessary to happen, that the show would become more like it became... But it didn't have to. Most shows stay the same. Most shows are... Television is a very identikit format. And the show will be the same on episode one as ten seasons later. But he, as he found out, hadn't travelled before this show. He had dreamt about the world. But he hadn't travelled it. So he became changed as he moved around the world, going to these different places. He became more thoughtful. He became more interested in presenting a different view of the world than was presented by cooking and travel. The earliest shows, the narration is written by the producers. And in the end, he gradually said, no, this is what I want to say. And that's when he started to find his own voice. And I think you can tell after probably the first two years of um, No Reservations, it really clicks into gear. And it becomes this much more thoughtful show. And then we get the uh, famous Beirut episode where they're trapped in uh lebanon when the israelis attack and um i think that won an emmy and he becomes a lot more involved in the social circumstances of the people he's going to see in these very poor countries and um makes friends with some you know some pretty high profile people who all of whom pretty much appear on this show now i thought this the greatest thing I can say about this documentary, everyone's everyone's kind of raved about it, and the one thing that I really want to dismiss out of hand, there was an attempt to derail it because they committed this mortal sin of using artificial intelligence to get Bourdain to voice a line, a couple of lines that he wrote in an email, and didn't tell everyone they were doing it in advance. Who cares? It is probably a morally, ethically wrong thing to do. Who cares? It just doesn't matter. It was like two lines. He wrote the lines. It's just not that important. But the best thing I can say about this documentary is um, it makes you appreciate all of the stages that he went through and about how he got to being that person that lasted for a good 10 years of being on this show, which was my favourite show on television. There was so much about it I loved. There were so many different varieties. There were the buddy shows uh, he did with chef friends, with musicians, uh, with his own camera crew. And there were the more serious politicised issues going to the places that were war-torn or impoverished or where the governments have been incredibly corrupt. There were the food shows, which were more about places like you know, El Bulli in Spain. It was such a wide-ranging show. I think um, everyone loves the buddy shows as well. Um, 
I'm trying to remember his friend from uh, the restaurant, the French guy who became his closest friend. But he had some really good friends that were on a lot of different episodes. Josh Homme from Queens of the Stone Age as well was on uh, several episodes. I never Eric Repair, of course, the uh, the French three-star chef, one of the top 50 restaurants in the world, Le Bernardin in, in New York, became a very, very solid friend and was on multiple episodes. Samir, he didn't appear in the documentary. So it, it showed me his whole life and the way that everything was um, a result of him traveling the world and changing as a human being. Now, the real gut punch in this documentary is the final third, which deals with his suicide. And it is an amazingly powerful, much more than I signed up for, section of the film. And it's because it shows how much his life had broken down. Um, Octavia, his wife, so like it's amazing. You see his wife of 30 years, nearly 30 years, on film. She was barely mentioned throughout his career. He was married to his childhood sweetheart from college, and they were partners in crime, but as soon as he started traveling the world and doing these TV shows, their relationship broke down. Um, and she's virtually never mentioned, but you actually see footage of her, which was quite mind-blowing. Um, but he married Otavia, and she was um, worked at Le Bernardin, and they ended up having a child, his first, in his well into his 50s. And after about eight years, their relationship broke down. And it appears after that, because he was on the road 270 nights a year, and I just remember thinking, that's why your marriage broke down, isn't it? You, And he wouldn't back off at all. He wouldn't back off. There's a very, very poignant moment where he tells the producers of the show that he can't do it anymore, he's sick of it, he, will, he doesn't want to destroy any more relationships, and they tell him just to quit. They're like, we'll support you, quit. But he couldn't. It was him that was stopping himself doing it. He couldn't leave that life. He couldn't leave the show. He couldn't leave what he was doing. He wanted them to start, try and force him to stay, and they make a point of saying, we, we didn't want him to. We, we were like, okay, how can we make it work better for you? So his relationship with his, uh, with his second wife broke down, and then he got into a relationship with Asia Argento, Dario Argento's daughter, and this is where it all gets really nasty, and I didn't realize how bad things got for a start you don't kill yourself because of another human being you kill yourself because of what's going on inside your head and there's been an awful lot of blame thrown at Asia Argento and her role in his demise saying that she was this femme fatale uh, you know this dark angel of a woman that came and destroyed his life he had gone through bouts of suicidal depression throughout his whole life he had talked about it before he had talked about it when he was in Jamaica years before he met her about how he thought about killing himself every day. So he had his own demons. And one of the people in the doco makes a really good point, which was um, did meeting Asia and what happened after that get his put his life off track? And the guy says, no, it put it back on the track. It went off track when he married Octavia and had a kid and went through this stage sooner or later his demons would catch up with him and put him off track. I didn't realise in the last couple of years of that show how badly things went off track. Um, everything went wrong. Now, everything is getting blamed on Asia Argento and the documentary trying to put all of that on her a little bit. I wouldn't say it actually blames her. I think it does make the case that it's him. It's him inside. But I think there is a, a definite case to be made that they were toxic for each other. He obsessed about a number of things in his life 
uh, jiu-jitsu at one point, drugs at other points. But he turned an absolute obsession onto her that it wasn't healthy. There's a very horrible scene where he is um, talking over the top of her and talking in a manner where she's wincing. So in the end, she was found, um, you know, in the arms of another man in the press and not long after he took, took his own life. So everyone's blamed her for being this femme fatale. But obviously he had very dark problems inside that were lifelong and that led him to drugs in the first place. And that's another good point that comes up is that he was led to drugs by the things inside him. And that was 30, 40 years ago. Um, so I definitely think the toxicity of the relationship was unhealthy and I think that he was an enormous part to blame because he obsessed with her to a degree where he was cutting off all his old friends apparently when she came out for the Me Too movement as one of the principal architects of that he was cutting off lifelong friends for something they'd said five years ago and those last couple of years of the show seemed incredibly painful and it's a really hard bit of the documentary to get through culminating in basically him um being at a loose end with he the, the culmination seems to be the hong kong episode where he sacked zach zamboni i think that's his name his his film photographer Emmy Award-winning photographer Zach Zamboni. This is a guy they've made one episode about Zach's parents and family and stayed with them for the episode, and another episode about his wife's family in Spain and stayed with them and had dinner around the table. That's how important this guy was to Bourdain. When the producer of the, when the director of the uh, series Parts Unknown fell sick. He immediately replaced the director with Asia Argento, who had no experience in doing that. And what happened was apparently one of the worst experiences for any of the crew. And um, it changed everything. And he sacked Zach Zamboni for having an argument with Asia Argento over what should be done, despite him being one of the most acclaimed documentary photographers in America, multiple Emmy Award winner, and a one of the closest friends Bourdain had. These are dark times. Uh, and I got a much better understanding of the fact that he wasn't upset for a week, that the wheels had come off over about a three-year period, and that everything was going wrong. Uh, all his relationships were souring. So it wasn't one moment. But I, I really like this documentary because as, as, a fa as a huge fan of Bourdain, who still watches his show religiously, it took me through everything. And it's really raw in that last third. It's horrible. It's upsetting. And it's powerful. And even where it gets things wrong, I like the fact that it took me on a journey through all of the time that I'd spent with this man on TV. Explained a lot of it in a much more in-depth way why everything happened from the beginning to the end. And especially how things had gone wrong towards the end. So... I really do rate Roadrunner. Uh, is it a Bourdain story? I always get a film about Anthony Bourdain. Uh, it's got a lot of really strong guests on there. Um, some of it might be seem like glib. Uh, some of the guests lose it, and uh, it might seem a little bit too much and for show. But at the same time, there's a rawness. It's not like um, a pre-planned. It's like um, it's not like it fits neatly into things. Which I really like, like some of the stuff they, they, they say can come across as a bit too trite and a bit too over-emotional. 
Um, but at the same time, there is a wailing despair that's represented on screen where you can't really explain what happened or why and where you're not happy about it and you can't really uh, you can't really write that off, that feeling that it was horrible and it is still horrible. And so I like, I really like the documentary and I will forgive it its faults. Um, and uh, I'm going to give it, Road Runner, a film about Anthony Bourdain, a 9 out of 10 for doing everything that I really wanted from a documentary about one of my favourite people ever. 9 out of 10. This is from the feature album One of Two by Death Heaven, Infinite Granite and Lament for Wasps. <laughs> 